Hi, Tony Hackett is my name, and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable, where we speak with founders and other people associated with the startup ecosystem. Today, we get to hear from Hippocrates co-founders, Jan Jensen and Martin Forster, who are focused on simplifying data privacy compliance. They have a goal to make data privacy compliance easy for business people, developers and privacy professionals. And their motivated team is working with the most cutting edge technology to help companies become and remain compliant with privacy laws on a global scale. Today, they share with us how they are changing the way privacy is both seen and managed through the power of artificial intelligence and natural language processing. Times are wasting, so let's meet Jan and Martin. So my name is Martin. I'm one of the co-founders of Hapogratis. And actually, I'm a little bit scared to say that lengthy experience in different industries, starting from high tech to telecom operators, down to automotive, where I've spent probably the last 15 years. And during that journey, actually, one of the main topics was always kind of handling data and associated to that, the reason for treating data in a responsible way became more and more obvious. And so that led us, while I know Jan for 15 years now, to a conversation about how to deal data. And that in last autumn led us to the idea, well, actually, we're both not happy with how data is being treated and we should do something which is more proactive in a more cost-efficient way. And that has led us actually to found Hapogratis this year, April. I'll chip in quickly as well. So my name is uh, Jan Jensen. I actually, uh, I think I touched on the compliance topic the first time when I was doing a job at the European Commission, part of the European Union government, as an external consultant. They're learning to deal with with all the, uh, the compliance topics and making sure that everything was uh, following the book and um, there was nothing to come after was a bit of a surprise to me because it was really down to the point. This is my fifth startup. I have to admit, I have it in the blood. It's something that I keep coming back to because it's just so much fun. It's also a lot of work. It's stressful, but it's just something that once it gets under your skin, at least that's my view, once it gets under your skin, you just can't get out of it. So you kind of seek uh, all the time, or at least I do. Yeah, and I've got a feeling there's a a certain amount of madness in amongst that as well. Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) When you look at the hours, that's for sure. And sometimes the stuff that you take on and the way you take it on, actually, I think also is, I think you're right, actually. Could you just expand on that a little bit for me when you say the way you take it on? What's been different this time to the previous four? I think, uh, first of all, I was the co-founder of three of them. Two of them, it was kind of startups that I, I got to work with. And I think one of the things that is very different is the just go and get it, get stuff done. The teamwork, kind of like it's us together. I don't think you can do a startup if you're not a team player. And I think doing a startup all by yourself is something that is extremely difficult to do because this, the sounding board in your co-founders, the ability to, to share successes and failures and also to say, hey, I'm stuck. I have no clue how to uh, to get over this hurdle here. And somebody goes, oh, but hang on a second. Why don't we try this? Or have you thought about that? And I think those things you bring with you and you become more and more of a, of a team player, you realize the joint team will get much, much further than the individual will. So for me, that it, that's definitely a thing that I have taken with me. Martin, for you, this is your first startup? No, actually, I mean, um, as mentioned, I know Jan and we, we did a couple of things together already in that area. 
But for sure, I mean, um, you know that actually we miss one third of us. So Yasha is not with us um, today as he cannot make it. But I think what Jan said is, is, is definitely um, true. And I, I would step on that even further saying, well, at one point, knowing each other for such a long time, knowing how the other works and how he thinks is definitely of extreme help. On the other hand side, I need to admit that um, pulling someone in from the outside who has a different angle, who is not kind of that kind of well, how should I say that um, politely, wired already gives you a different angle and that helps us. And he's of a different generation too. So he kicks us to a certain degree, certainly to give us a different spin. And that is actually, I think, a pretty good mixture, I need to admit. You're taking on a part of the universe, the data universe, highly regulated and privacy. And people think they have this worked out. Then you come and knock on the door and say, there's a better way to do this. How do you grab people's attention enough that they want to change what they're doing? When we look at the current world, everyone is talking about, to a certain degree, data privacy and uh, privacy regulations. And I think when you look at the world right now with our special situation with COVID, it will be pulled um, ahead even further because now see the tracking apps and the debate about data privacy and how it's being played off against health and how that can be tracked down. But also on the other side, you still see there's a message today coming out. Vodafone has abuse of um, data in Italy, um, which um, causes 12 million fines. So you see that this becomes more and more relevant and um, also very transparent. And I think putting regulations in place like the GDPR is one piece. And actually, the fun part about that is it sounds always when you put out a law that it needs to be enforced. But actually, it's there to protect citizens. It's actually something good. So what we try to do is to balance that. It is not seen as something negative. It's something which should be considered. And I think that is what we try to do in a different way and give it a different spin to help that this is being applied rightfully. And with that, data is being reused for the purpose it is intended to. And with that, we balance out the law versus economic needs, which is fair to have data because that obviously runs a lot of business, but it needs to be done for that specific um, purpose. If, if I may jump on that quickly, I think there's uh, it was something that was striking me a little bit in the uh, corona situation, to be quite honest. You have governments around the world working frantically to bring out tracking applications. And when you talk to people, kind of like, are you using the tracking application? And the answer is, no, as a matter of fact, I'm not. Why not? Well, I'm really worried about the tracking. It's kind of the point that it tracks, right? Yes, but I don't trust the government. So given the choice between being tracked to prevent corona and on the other side, uh, getting ill for potentially for not tracking and spreading it onto other people, people decide for the latter. And when you look at some of the statistics and they variate a little bit, but they are roughly ballpark around 70% of consumers don't trust companies to handle their data in a responsible way. That is a serious issue. That's a remarkable point. I was going to mention that in my role, I I work in a business development role with a tech company around data, and part of it is across the financial services industry. I was just researching, not to do with our call today, by the way, but coincidentally, it was around cloud compliance and data. And I was looking into Google Trends to see what the the searches people were making. I, I compared, I think it was cloud compliance, personal data, GDPR, couple of others. And it showed in Australia, GDPR had basically dropped off the cliff by way of search. And Google was saying the trend is going to be for it to basically go from this mid path to zero. But it equally showed the interest in personal data as a search term going from 50 
almost vertical from where we are now. And that was in Australia, yet in the US, it was showing them as staying just humming along at around that, that 50 mark. I think it's a little bit to your point. It's about personal data. People are not seeing it as, as this detached element, but trying to understand what that means. And also in the world of the hyperscalers and the large platforms and the large aggregators, we're all being more conscious of what that means and, and how it can be abused. So actually what, what we do see is exactly um, what you described, that people are more concerned. They, they also take consequence out of that, which harms business. I mean, trusting the government at one point is one thing because, I mean, the tracking app obviously then is not working as it could be and could help. That's one part. But on the other hand side, when we boil it down to business, which is not that lethal, but it's lethal to the companies because when consumers decide not to purchase or deal with companies due to the fact that they don't trust them anymore because of the data usage companies proceed like today, then it's harmful for their business and with that for the companies itself. So there's a lot of things which have changed and we see that over 107 countries these days have such regulations in place and that's for a good reason because they see that there is need to prevent data abuse. So with that, I think that's that's where we want to build our business on. It also is apparent to me that not all customer data is the same, as in there are different levels of escalation. If we think about with any organization, we're talking about banking, but it could be any industry, there's data to serve, there's data associated with complaints, and then there's data at that next level that attract the, the regulator or the ombudsman. So it's the way that that is actually handled is escalated at each step as well and through organizations. I, I'm very curious to understand your perspective on technology and how you're able to leverage that now, maybe where there are some areas of, let me say, disappointment in where it's up to and areas that you're excited about as you start to look into the next one to three years? Well, I think the technology is part of it, obviously. I have my own kind of, it's almost a pitch on that because it's something that I really believe uh, firmly in. And it's when you look at, at what happens in the market right now, we all want to use smart services and we all want to take uh, advantage of advanced sensor technology, artificial intelligence and, and a lot of other things to make our lives easier, to help us organize things in our lives. Problem is all of that runs on data. And at the same point in time, we're seriously concerned about how our personal data is being used. And I think rightfully so. Because companies have been misusing that data. And I think if, if I may uh, take a little detour here, I think part of the problem is there is a gap. Companies are saying we're legally compliant. And the customers are saying, yeah, but I don't care if you're legally compliant. I want you to be socially responsible. I want you to take me as a client serious. I want you to use my data for the purpose I have given it to you for and not for all kinds of other stuff. I don't want you to sell it to the company down the road. So as the technology now starts to evolve, facial recognition and all these different technologies that can do a lot of interesting good stuff. But if it's being misused, then obviously customers uh, or consumers are going to be even more uh, concerned about giving the data. Big data, cloud computing, you can crunch a lot more data in a lot shorter period of time than you could earlier on. So the technology is now starting to support this smart society that people have been talking about for you know 10, 15 years. But the way that data is being dealt with by companies, unfortunately, is probably one of the biggest roadblocks uh, that we have right now. Answering your question back and how the technology is being built from our perspective, what we do we obviously leverage high tech, so artificial intelligence, natural language processing in order to convert text into rule sets. And those rule sets we apply to services or applications to make sure that their behavior is compliant. So what we do is, and, and that's kind of one of the key 
requirements from the GDPR to collect at the source only the data which is legally allowed, respectively um, necessary. So from that perspective, we solve that problem really at the source. That is something which, from our perspective, no one in the market currently does in that kind of end-to-end chain as we do it, especially when we look at not being compliant only when building a service or developing a service, but also over lifetime due to the fact that we keep the dependency between our rule repository alive to the service to update in case a rule or a law changes. So with that, we provide peace of mind for the um, customers we serve our product to, to make sure that they tick the box of being compliant, as Jan pointed out earlier, really not only once while building the service, but really over lifetime. And that makes us different. Is that what you would refer to as data privacy by design, or is that something else? No, thanks for bringing that out. I mean, that data or making it compliant by design is that we built jointly with our customer at a first step, an initial rule set into their service. And that is then the compliance by design. And keeping that relationship um, alive, we update the rules at over lifetime to make sure that a product remains compliant. That's the linkage in between those two. That brings a certain amount of responsibility and pressure along with it. How do you then stay abreast the changes, especially as you look at the globe, not just in a a single entity in a single market? So when we look at it, we run observation of the rules or the laws, sorry for that, for the laws, and we try to figure out with that artificial intelligence if there are changes in the laws. And if we notice them, we build immediately an updated rule set, which we then can expose for our customers. And with that, we keep track of changes as there are many. I think there were in 2019 over 24,000 over global and we need to track them, obviously, in order to make sure that uh, those are being applied rightfully to the services which we provide our product to. And yes, it is a kind of a responsibility for sure. But I mean, that's what our product is, to make sure that there's responsible treatment of data. One of the important uh, things here is people are often saying, well, the law doesn't change that that frequently, does it? They put the law in place and then maybe three, four, five years down the road, they make adjustments to, to it. That is true for, for a lot of legislation. It's not necessarily true for privacy law because right now, for instance, there's a lot of discussion around uh, facial recognition. Supermarket wants to use it to recognize customers when they come in. At the register, they can then link the credit card or the payment vehicle with, uh, with the person and then they can start to uh, track them around the store using different kind of technologies so they know exactly what person buys what and they want to use that proactively. Data uh, protection and, and uh, regulatory bodies are actually now trying to say, well, we need to limit that because it can be misused for a number of different uh, things. And the law is in place, updates are being made, but what people are often forgetting is there's the whole regulatory guidelines. So the regulator says, okay, so here's how that part of the law is to be understood. And sometimes new technologies and new ways of using data is being uh, invented. And the regulator says, oh, well, we have that covered. Here's the guideline that tells you how that applies uh, in this specific case. And then, of course, at the back end of all of this, you have court rulings. So when the cases are going to court, there's a ruling coming out and that helps people to interpret what the law will mean when it's applied by a court. So all of this stuff needs to flow into the to the considerations as well. It's not just a question of is the law changed or not. There's a lot of other stuff that flows into this. Interesting point that you create a real emphasis on privacy, and that's that's a really interesting point. Could I ask you maybe to 
move from talking about your domain area to functioning as a startup. And especially over the last six, seven, eight months, what that's been like for you uh, through this COVID era that we're living through. The good part about that is I think during our careers, we've been always been working remote already. So that kind of working from home or being in different places, Jan is in Zurich, I'm in Berlin, our third person, Yasha, he's in Stuttgart. So that's obviously sounds a little bit awkward, especially when you start um, building something like we do. But um, actually what we realized, it works pretty well. We met obviously at the beginning of COVID a couple of times, which was much more efficient, I need to admit, especially when you need to feel a little bit the chemistry but overall i think for fairness it did not hold us back it was kind of good we had lengthy conversations over the phone video conferences but also what we saw is that certain processes and i need to point that out because it always sounds negative covid helped us even with accelerating for whatever a notary appointments which you easily can get these days because there's not too much for them right now at least it seems so it, it accelerated a couple of things so i think it's good and bad obviously but i think for us, we tend more to the positive effects, but for sure, we're looking forward to meet each other again. That's for sure. Having a beer or two. I think also uh, some of the things that uh, may have been an advantage for us is that talking to investors, talking to uh, potential uh, clients and so forth was usually connected with travel activities. The whole video conferencing has kind of grabbed hold of everybody. So agreeing with uh, people to jump on a, a video conferencing, present something, discuss funding, is much, much easier today. It, it, it's like a second nature right now. Oh, yeah, should we set up a video call? Yeah, not a problem. So getting to people, having a face to face uh, over the computer is easier. And we would all prefer to sit opposite each other, of course. But this is actually uh, something that is helping quite a lot, I think, that there is much more readiness to, to have that kind of discussion. Dealing with more practical stuff like regulators, Martin was mentioning the uh, notaries and so forth, at the beginning of the process was difficult. And I have to say for myself, right in the middle of uh, building the idea, establishing the company, talking about funding, we all went into lockdown. And you're kind of like, okay, how's that going to work? But as a matter of fact, Using you know technology, we have been able to bypass it and, and get through. It's interesting. I've experienced the whole range of video conferencing over the last six, seven months and working from home, working with colleagues, customers online. What I've noticed as the time's gone by is that the respect, or not the respect, but the, the expectation that life is structured in 30-minute increments has gone out the window. So I, I was on a, on a Zoom call this afternoon. It was actually finished after three minutes. <laughs> But we extended it to seven with some niceties. But that immediacy is fantastic. It is mindset. There's no question about it. And it's going to be with us forever in one form or another. But like you, I share the, the opportunity to be in the room and to, to be able to read the room. And it's going to be a wonderful thing to return to. I wonder if I could ask you to share some of your learnings and perspectives just as we close today's conversation. Maybe if you one of you could speak to an accelerator program and what your experience, what you would suggest to somebody who might be listening to this. And maybe if the other of you could take on the question around mentors and coaches and what your guidance would be around that. I'm happy to take the mentors and, uh, and coaches. First of all, as part of the program, obviously, uh, a large number of uh, mentors and coaches are being lined up. They all have their skill set and, and capabilities. So I think in the beginning, it's a bit overwhelming. There's a lot of them. You try to talk to all of them. You were talking about the 30-minute intervals before. So you set up these 30 minutes. You try to get to, uh, to know them, understand what they can contribute. And sometimes, and this is the difficult process, uh, at least for me, you're talking to somebody and you're realizing that their expertise is an area that maybe you don't 
um, need so much. Either you have it covered or you actually have existing relationships that are dealing with this. And sometimes it's maybe just kind of like chemistry doesn't really uh, function. And I think instead of entertaining it, it's better for both parties to, to kind of say, okay, this was great. Thank you so much, but let's move on. And what we have seen is it's a funnel, right? You start with a lot and relatively quickly, you get down to a few people. They add a lot of value. They show interest. The response rate is high. Uh, the latency is low. We were talking before about uh, how it has been to work through the COVID working from home. But one thing we have noticed is that some people, they take forever or don't respond at all. So ghosting seems to have become a much, much bigger problem during the uh, COVID crisis. On the back end of that, there are mentors and coaches that respond almost within minutes. They show you interest. We have sometimes asked maybe a, a two-line question and we have gotten very lengthy answers back, casting light on very important points for us. You should think about this. You should um, also uh, consider that. Have you given this enough thought? Oh, by the way, I'm not sure if you guys are on the right path here. So there's a lot of positive things coming back from them. I would strongly recommend any startup to try to find some mentors. What I have also, on a personal note here, what I have noticed is that sometimes we have a tendency to go towards the sea level. I am not personally convinced that that is always the best idea. They simply don't have the time. Uh, they're so busy in their daily life. And at the end of the day, spending half an hour and an hour on a phone call with you is maybe not their idea of fun. So people often other startups uh, that have been successful and stuff like that are also busy. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of interesting knowledge that we can uh, that we can utilize that have the time and the interest in helping. So um, answering your second piece of the question, at the beginning when we were not in the program yet, we were contacted by VCs and I think that was kind of for me the, the most frustrating part because in a lot of cases they knew already that we are kind of just founded but we got always the answer back oh come back whenever you're kind of you've got revenue you've got paying customers etc and I think me that was I mean it's not the first time that we're doing a startup but it was kind of so frequently mentioned that we're too early that it became super frustrating but I think the main topic is really I mean especially when you found with two or one one other person that you keep yourself uh, motivated and don't let you drag down by such responses because in the end i mean yes you are early it's clear when you start when you when you found in april and you get investor calls proactively from their side in may june yes you are you don't have customers lined up and so don't be frustrated with responses you're too early and an accelerator program can help you definitely focus on the right things building it up in the right way and also kind of overcome that early as, as we did as well, to become investment ready. And that is what the Exceller program is all about, become investment ready. And I think when we now have the demo day on 10th of December, we are pretty much investment ready. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing those insights. And Martin and Jan, hearing the Hippocrates story and for you to bring to the surface your learnings and experiences has been so valuable today. I genuinely appreciate it and it'd be wonderful to stay in touch, but thank you for joining me today. It was exciting to hear how the Hippocrates team is assessing and tackling such a big topic. Privacy is an ever-present consideration, and I'm keen to track their progress. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.